Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Before we start, Brian would like to share a couple of things with you. First, did you know that Brian is a life coach, a grief guide, and a mental fitness trainer? Brian would love to help you with whatever life issues are challenging you. Brian has years of experience as well as training. You can contact Brian at www.grieftogrowth.com to learn more. Brian is the author of the best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted, Not Buried, which you can get on Amazon or Brian's website. This is a great book if you're in grief or to give to someone you know who is dealing with grief. Lastly, Brian creates free and paid resources for your growth. Go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash gifts, www.grief2growth.com to sign up for his newsletter. Choose a gift just for signing up and keep up with what Brian is offering. And now here's today's episode. Please enjoy. Hey, everybody. This is Brian back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And I've got with me today a fascinating man with a very unique story that you're going to be interested in hearing. Uh, His name is John Davis. Um, He's had 19 different intuitive readers independently and spontaneously tell him about a specific past life. Now, John was raised as a Catholic and psychics were not something he particularly believed in or trusted. So he actually scheduled a session with a past life regression therapist. And under hypnosis, he remembered the exact life that the readers had told him about. And he remembered the life of being John, the beloved apostle, the apostle of Jesus. In that regression, he remembered meeting Yeshua ben uh, Yosef, better known as Jesus. He also witnessed the crucifixion of his friend Jesus. And he now has a popular YouTube channel called John of New that he shares what he learned 2,000 years ago. Um, So with that, I welcome John Davis to Grief to Growth. Well, thank you, Brian. It's absolutely wonderful to be here. Really excited to to share the story with uh, your listeners. Yeah, it, it's really good to meet you. We just figured out we're both Buckeyes, both uh, both Ohio boys. <laughs> so, well, you're you're a transplant. I'm I'm from here natively, so we we do have that in common. Um, I saw your your bio, and I was fascinated by your by your story. So, I'm curious though. You said you saw 19 different psychics that told you this, but you weren't a big believer in psychics. So, why did you keep going back? Well, well, it was interesting. Most of them, most of them, I did not go to. Oh, okay. uh, let me tell you. I'll tell you the interesting story is that, you know, I was raised Catholic, as I said. My mm-hmm. mom had her master's degree in liturgy, so she was head of liturgical doctrine at our church. So we were we were very Catholic, <laughs> and um, I never was a a a, a big um, believer in psychics or any of that sort of nature. But when I left. Uh, college, I went on the road doing Renaissance festivals, and I put together a comedy sword fighting act called Hack and Slash. We traveled all over the country, all over the world, actually. And one day we were 
we were performing out of the festival in Ontario, Canada. And we were staying at a friend's house up there. And uh, I was sitting there in this room of people. And this woman across the room keeps staring at me, just staring at me. And I'm like, this is just weird. Because I know her husband's sitting right next to her. I'm like, why is this woman staring at me? This is so strange. Mm -hmm. She stands up, walks across the room. She says, you know, you were John the Beloved in past life, right? And I was like, yeah, who's who's this weird woman, right? So I was like, that was just strange. It's really weird, really strange. Come to find out, you know, she was a, a known gifted psychic medium at the time, and um, and I was like, okay, that's just that's not for me because that doesn't, you know, we don't believe in those kind of things in the Catholic Church, and so I ended up going to Mar- the Maryland Festival, and she was there too, and she came up and she said something else to me about it, and I was just like, okay. So then I was up sitting on the fair site at the Maryland Festival, and I'm talking to somebody I've known for 15 years, 20 years, you know, and out of the blue, she says, you know, you're John the Beloved, right? And I was like, this is the second person. So after it was, it was about three of those, three more of those who just spontaneously told me that. Finally, I was like, okay, I'm going to test this because I'm a very science-minded person. I'm going to test this. So there, at the time, there was a popular book out called The Messengers. It was about a guy who, under hypnosis, remembered being the Apostle Paul. And so I was like, well, let me find out who his, who his reader was, and let me contact one of them spontaneously, out of the blue, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I call this woman up to set up an appointment, and she says, I, I, I call up, I say, yeah, I'd like to set up an appointment. She says, oh, my God. You're John the Beloved. <laughs> and so it was like, bing, bing, bing. I, I went to a holistic fair one time. I was walking down along where the readers were. The only reason I was there is because a friend of mine was selling jewelry at the mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking down along this this row where these readers were doing readings. Lady stopped her reading, ran out, and grabbed my arm. Left the lady sitting at her table, grabbed my arm to tell me the same thing. Hmm. Well, this was really, it had gotten to the point where it was just ridiculous. And I was like, you know, I don't know what's going on. I started thinking, well, am, am I putting off something? Because, and, and, you know, am I putting something out into the ethers that they're picking up on or something? And I was like, I, I got to find some way that's not a psychic because I don't really believe in psychics. I got to find some way that's not a psychic that's going to actually show me what this is like and hmm. what this is and to verify it. And so I, I went online and I searched for past life regression therapist specifically certified past life regression therapists, because there's a lot of people out there who claim to be past life regressionists, but I wanted someone who had, you know, letters after their name, somebody with credentials, Mm -hmm. because I didn't want it to be just, you know, Joe Schmo who says he does past life regressions. So I found a a wonderful lady in Washington, DC area, set up an appointment, went to her house. She gave me, um, she led me through a meditation and gave me a tape that I had to train with for a week. I had to do, do use her meditation every day for a week mm-hmm. so that when I came back for the regression, I was already acclimated to her voice. And so I I went in, I um, laid down on the, on, the, on the chair. She started taking me through the process of regression. And I suddenly found myself opening my eyes and I was standing on a stone beach. And I'm looking at this stone beach and I'm going, okay, this is weird. But I could smell the air. I could feel the wind. And it was like I, could, I had full sensory awareness of being there. Hmm. And then 
I'm looking around and I looked down like my arms were bare and my legs were bare. And I said, well, obviously not an apostle, <laughs> right? Because they all wore robes, right? Yeah, right, this is, this, right. Is all, this is what I'm thinking, right? Well, after much research, after the regression, because I, like I said, science-minded guy, I wanted to research everything I could find. I found out what he, what I was wearing was something called a fisher's coat. Is when they would go out on the on the Sea of Galilee to, to fish, they would wear these one-piece bathing suit kind of things because if you fell off the boat in robes, you would literally drown. And so these were like basically a one-piece bathing suit. And I did find a reference to it in the Bible later on. Hmm. Um, so then she's like, "Well, what's going on?" And I look over to my right. There's this this older man there, and he's in full robes and he's leaning on a stick. And I said, my father's with me. She, he says, well, who is that? And, and I said, Zebedee. Zebedee. And I said, he used to do the fishing, but he can't anymore because he, he's, his back is too bad. So I do the work now. And this is the what I'm saying. She says, what's the next most important scene? What's the next important thing that's going to happen? <clears throat> and I look over and there's people running down the beach. And they're like like running in excitement. And I look over, and there's a crowd forming over to my left, down near some boats. And I'm looking at looking at the crowd. She says, "Do do you go over, or do you stay, watch from afar?" And I said, "No, I'm going over." And I I go over, and I come to the group, and I kind of push my way through. And when I get to the center, I I start to feel this guy in front of me. I can literally feel his presence, hmm. and and it's like. I start to lose my breath and you can hear in the regression. I have the regression available on my website, but um, you hear in my, in my breath, I start losing my breath. I'm like, Oh my, Oh my God, I can feel him. I can feel him. And I look over and this man was standing there. He was dark skinned. Um, He had long curly hair and the sun had bleached it in a way that was kind of reddish. His eyes were light colored. They were light, like a blue color, um, so which looked really strange. And But I found out later on after doing the research that red hair and blue eyes were actually something that was prevalent in the region at the time. Did hmm. not know that. Um, and he looked at me. And it was one of the weirdest things. He looked at me and he smiled like he knew me, which I didn't had never met this man. And he walks over and he reaches his hand out and he sets it on my chest. And in the regression, I have what many people would call a near-death experience, but an out-of-body experience, definitely. I left my body in my during my regression. In that moment in history, I left my body and I found myself immersed in pure, unconditional love in a, an expansive whiteness. And I could tell that I was one with everything that was around me. And I was just in, enveloped in this loving sensation. And words are imperfect. You know, I'm saying these words, but they don't describe the magnitude of what it really was. And I'm experiencing this feeling. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, oh, and, I'm, and, I'm bringing, and the regressionist gets confused. She says, like, are, are you with him or are you him? And I said, I am within him. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting. She says, what's the next most important moment? And the next most important moment was for me to come out of that and drop back into all of my fears and my anxieties to feel the separation from love. 
Hmm. And I had, a, had an understanding that by feeling the separation, I could understand what, what love God truly was. But I could not understand that if I did not understand the separation. In science, they would call it a baseline. You have to feel the absence so that you can measure the the outcome. Mm-hmm. So she says, what's happening? What's happening? I turn and I look and I see Jeshua going over top of this berm or sand dune away from me. I said, he's going away. I said, I have to go with him. And at that moment, it really kind of explained something that I didn't understand in my own Catholic faith was, you know, some guy walks up to you on the beach and says something to you, and you give up your entire life and walk away. Mm-hmm. How how can that be? How can how can that happen? And I what I said in the regression was he gave me a glimpse of everything, and I now have to go with him so I can see it again, basically. Hmm. Um, so in the in the regression, in, in a in a, a a past life regression, one of the things the regressionist does is they try to lead you to a very, very emotional event. Well, I had just went through an emotional event, right? But in her mind, what she was going to do is take me to the death of John, in a death of this, this old John of old. Mm-hmm. And she says, how would you feel about seeing his death? What the regressionists didn't realize that to John, there was nothing more important than Jeshua. And let me, let me just say this. I, I say Jeshua, right? And you'll see people, spell it with a Y or spell it with a J. And my memory is it's, it's the pronunciation of it is, is like a mix of the two. It's like a Jeshua. So mm-hmm. there's a mix there. Um, she said, how would you feel about seeing his death? And I said, I, I couldn't imagine it. She says, well, would you like to try? I said, okay. And you hear me very pensively say, okay. And the next thing you know, I'm literally watching them push him up on the cross. And I start screaming and crying and wailing. And she had to use hypnosis to bring me out of, out of my emotions so I could see what the scene was. Hmm. And as we were going through the process after that, she, she, she brought me up and out. And she says, what's, what's the purpose of this life? What's, what's the reason for this life? And I said, he showed me everything, but it's so simple that we all miss it. It's, it's so simple. We have a hard time even grasping it because of its simplicity. You know, we are one with God at all times. And within that oneness, we are always creating. We are always the creator of our experience. And we don't recognize it. And now everyone searches for their connection. But it's not about searching for it. It's about acknowledging it is already there and realizing it's already there. And what was really interesting was the more I, I started bringing these principles back, the more I started seeing massive changes in my own life. And that's, that's basically the story of how I went from 19 psychics to a full past life regression. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that, I hope that answers your, your question that I started on a long time ago. <laughs> no, it does. It does answer my question. And it, it actually answers, you know, another question, the same question that you did about the disciples, because you're like, okay, this dude walks up to him on the beach and says, follow me. And they just drop everything and they follow him. Everything. They dropped the whole families, everything. Yeah. And, and what was, what was really interesting was the realization that we truly are just our consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, and I, you know, my, a couple of years ago, my mother passed away and 
a few, a few years before before she passed away, I told her all about what was going on with me, and she went to her Irish Catholic priest. She said, "Father, I'm really concerned about my son. He thinks he's a, a reincarnated apostle." And he says, he looked around and he says, "Don't discount it. It might be true," <laughs> which I thought was really interesting for a Catholic priest to say. But she and I had this long talk about about what it was to cross over, and when. When she crossed over, you know, you had your, 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 I know your podcast is called Grief to Growth. One of the things that's so fascinating is, you know, we're here to experience this, this place and this separation from love. Mm-hmm. But the, the two times that I've crossed over, and I'll, I can tell you about the second one later, but the two times that I've crossed over, I realized that the body is just an impermanent vehicle. And we are the consciousness within. And life is eternal. And when I talk to people who are going through a serious grief, they get very trapped in in the moment of losing that person, that representation of love for them. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is when you look at that person's life, they were this entire life, but they're focusing on this little piece at the end. And the person that the, the reason that you're having this little piece of this, this grief at the end is because their life was a representation of love. And so it's better to remember them for the representation of love rather than for this little tiny piece at the end. And when they look across from the other side and they see you, they see your entire life the same way. And your grief right now is this little piece here. They're focused on who you are as a whole. And what I find in grief is a lot of people get stuck in their grief. My, my, my sister is one of them, actually. She still today, my mother died years ago. Still today, she cries about my mom frequently. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm like, you know, you, mom would never want this for you. Mom would want you to be joyful and happy and remember her for the, the funny things she did and the, the loving gestures she did. And, you know, you know, the best thing you can do to, to, to honor your, your, those who've crossed over is to remember them for who they were and be the person that they know you are. And when you get to come to that space, you start to realize that it's okay that they're, they're not here because they're still they're still alive, they're still living because life is eternal. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree with that. So I'm curious, help me set a timeline here. How long ago did you have this past life experience, the regression? Uh, it, they the the psychic started telling me in 1999. Okay, um, I had my regression in the year 2000, and I went on the road, and there was a book written about me years ago. And I went on the road and I started speaking at the Association for Research and Enlightenment, which is the Edgar Casey Foundations. And I, I spoke in Virginia Beach and Houston and Portland. And then I spoke at Unity Churches and Metaphysical Centers all mm. over the country. And I discovered very quickly that the lessons, the teachings, which to me is the most important thing, what I'm talking about is the most important thing, mm-hmm. that they were they were missing the message because they're so focused on the past life. And so after, I I guess about seven or eight years of just realizing that, you know, the same people were coming back and having the same problems. They weren't stepping into their, their own divinity and changing their lives that I realized that I was becoming a crutch for people and a a detriment. So I actually left doing that, all the spiritual work. Mm. And I went on, I decided what, how can I, how can I stop preaching to a choir who's not really listening anyway mm-hmm. and start start finding people and putting them on the path? And I became a corporate speaker. And what I did was I started taking the lessons 
and changing the vocabulary and putting it into a corporate speech. And I, I did that for about 10 years. Um, but when COVID hit, you know, as a corporate speaker, you're, you're paid to go into small rooms with large numbers of people mm-hmm. <laughs> and then COVID hit <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that, that industry goes away. But I kind of, I said, I, I really, I don't feel like I'm being authentic. I don't feel like I'm being myself because I really want to be open about this. I don't want to have to feel like I'm masking what I'm saying. Hmm. And so I, I said, okay, should I go back to doing this? And I've, I've always been a very intuitive person. And since I've kind of embraced this, I've become more intuitive. Um, and I, I said, I, I think I should do this. So I contacted a YouTuber uh, named intuitive you. She's a, a, a um, reader. Mm-hmm. And, I said, I said, would you be interested in possibly having me on as a guest? And she said, yeah, I'd love that. So I came on, and on last September, a year ago, I I started the YouTube channel with three subscribers, <laughs> me, my friend, and my sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I had that interview on on um, the 9th of, oh, sorry, the 10th of September. Mm-hmm. And on the 11th of September, I had 400 subscribers. and it's just been just this amazing growth that's been happening. And I've been really fascinating. I had given up all of my websites and everything from the, before I became a speaker mm-hmm. and I, I rebought that domain name and I, and I set up those addresses again. And the day after that interview, someone actually replied to an email that I had written 12 years earlier. Oh, wow. And, and it made it to me, which wow. is so amazing. And it really, it was, she had been talking to a, an intuitive out of Hawaii who had said, um, you need to talk to John. He was John the Beloved. He's bald. He's a big guy with glasses. She says, yeah, I know who that is. I talked to him a long time ago. I don't even know if he's still around. Oh, wow. And she dug through her, her old emails and found an email from me and hit reply. Hmm. And that's <laughs> the day after I came back out. Ever since then, it's been, been just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the shift that I've seen in humanity from 10 years ago till now is amazing. Back then it was so superficial and so into past lives and all that stuff. And now everybody I'm speaking to is all about, what do I do? How do I s- go to the next level of my own, uh, self, my own authentic self. And mm-hmm. so it's been just amazing. Well, I do want to talk a little bit more about the past life. If you don't mind. And I, I oh, you can talk about that. it all you want. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> want to get into the lessons too. Cause you know, just, you know, frankly, and I've had past life regressions. I believe them. So I want to say that up front. But people that don't believe them say, well, everybody says they were Marie, Marie Antoinette or they were the queen. You know, they were Cleopatra. <laughs> everybody was famous. Have you had other past life regressions? Have you, have you experienced other lives? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. I have not experienced, I have had other past life regressions. I never experienced other lives. 
I have met multiple people who remember being John. I remember multiple people who say they're Paul and Peter. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I've met about 25 Mary Magdalene's mm-hmm. and, and several. And I never claim to know what reincarnation is. Um, but I will say this. I do believe fully that we are all one with God. And do, am I tapping into a memory that anybody can tap into? I don't know. Are there a hundred Johns or there are a thousand Johns or can anybody tap into those memories? I don't know. Uh, All I know is those memories were very profoundly thrust into my life. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, if you look at my website, it's called John of new. Mm -hmm. It's not John of old. I don't think it really matters who you were in the past life. I think it matters who you are now because here in the I am moment, it's the only moment you have thought word and deed or conscious. Mm -hmm. So, as far as the past life is concerned, it, it's very important to me because I have those memories. Right. After that regression, you know, there's, there's a certain percentage. It's like 13 to 14% of people who get regress continue to have spontaneous, spontaneous regressions. Mm-hmm. So I am one of those people. Okay. I occasionally still have spontaneous regressions from that lifetime. And I can always tell when it's a, when it's a regression because it's full sensory awareness. I can feel the air, see, you know, smell what's going on in the room, whatever. Um, I have the full sensory awareness. When that happens, I know that it's it's an actual regressive moment. So um, is it like an out-of-body thing when you have this? Are you not conscious yeah. of what's going on around you? Okay. okay. Yeah, it's a very strange experience. Um, somebody asked me what it was like in the regression. And I said, you know how, how like when you are in this, in, in your, just your everyday thing and, and you're, and you're kind of thinking about what's going on, you know, you know, you're like, you're like, well, what if I did this? And your, your mind's kind of over here. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened in my regression was those two positions shifted mm. and I became the physical in the, in the past life. Okay. But I was very aware of the thinking up here yeah. and the conversation I was having with the regressionist. Yeah. So it's like the consciousness shift. Yeah. I was there experiencing, but I was still very much up there as well. Yeah, I think it's a great explanation. And, you know, and the thing about reincarnation, I think is really interesting because people get all caught up in whether it's true or not. And I'm like, I think it's true, but it's not as simple as we think it is. Right. I believe that there's that we have like, a, I, I think of it like an oversoul that comes here and has many different incarnations. And when we go back, we kind of share those. Um, mm-hmm. And there might be a collective consciousness that, you know, that we can tap into. And 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 I, I do know people that, that say that they were John. And they were Peter and Paul and, you know, et cetera. So Me too. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I appreciate that, that answer that I think it's, it's a very good answer. And, and like you said, the most important thing I think is what is the lesson, you know, what can we learn yeah. from this? Yeah. It literally is, you know, who you are now Yeah, because it's the only moment you're creating and you're, and that is, that's the thing that I find most people struggle with is they don't realize they're already creating, you know, you probably, probably everybody listening to this knows a negative person. Right. Mm-hmm. And have you ever noticed that that negative person always has something to be negative about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because absolutely. their focus and their faith is on negativity. Right. So they see a negative world. Right. You know, when you look at this, this world that we're living in, you know, right where you are, whoever's listening to this, look across the room at the wall on the other side of the room and realize that that wall that you're looking at is nothing but pure energy. Einstein has proven to you that that, that is a energy event with the atoms doing mm-hmm. that wall but the weird part is the air between you and that wall 
is also made of atoms. And the eyes that you're looking at it with are made of atoms as well. And you are literally created in God's image. All of this is the image of God, and you're, you are within it. And in the, the first lines of the book of John, in the beginning is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Your words, thoughts, beliefs go out into this energy pool, and it's with God. And then God, consciousness, universe, yada, yada, whatever you call it, mm-hmm. creates that image around you. So in the beginning is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you suddenly have this experience of what you believe is being created. And when you shift into the perspective of, if I'm the creator, do I want to create crap? <laughs> you know, Or do I want to create something joyful and loving and caring? Yeah. And I, 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 do a lot, I do a lot of private readings with people and private sessions with people. And I had one guy on yesterday who, it was his second session. And he said to me, he says, John, he says, after the first session, I had to have a second because my neighbors started being nice to me. They've never been nice to me. Mm-hmm. I said, that's because everything comes from within you. And you changed your perspective. And so you got a return in that form. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, and so that's the, the one thing that most people miss is that they're, they do get to create their experience. Now, I, I think of God as, as supply and I'm demand. Mm. You know, I just kind of put it out and whatever comes back, comes back. And if I'm putting out crap and, and if I'm having a tough day, if I'm having a hard day, I stop and I assess why I am putting that out and I change it. And how do you change it? You change it with the most simple things. Whatever you ask in God's name is granted. Well, Moses back in the Old Testament said God's name was I am. Not I will be, not I was, I am. Mm-hmm. Now, I am joyfully creating a life of fun. Is very different from I am bummed out that this my job sucks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a very, very different experience, right? So the, whatever you're putting after I am is what you're going to experience. If you believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very interesting. So the, the teachings that you have now, do you remember the teachings from Jesus or are these things that have, that have come to you since you, now that you're John Davis or. There are, there are certain moments of teaching that I remember from him, but most of it is, is um, intuitive memory in some form. But Mm -hmm. the one line, the one line that I will, well, two things. It is so completely simple that we don't get it. Mm-hmm. It is so it it because we're already doing it. We're already experiencing. We're here to experience. We're here in this world to experience. And we're already doing that. The other part of this is at one point I remember him clearly saying, when you seek a path, a path will be laid before you, but until you turn the path back to yourself, you'll never find the doorway. You know, and what that is, is somebody says, how, you know, I'm looking for the next aha moment. I'm looking for the next spiritual thing that's going to take me to, to the, the next light show of spirituality. Mm-hmm. And in reality, they're just paths. And you're going to wander through, wander paths and wander in the wilderness until you come back to yourself and go, no, I am. I am this. I am creating this. And what was really fascinating was after I started shifting my own life that way, everything started falling into place. I mean, everything started falling into place. Um, I remember when I was a corporate speaker, it was interesting because that business is a very cutthroat business. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that business, if you really want to be respected in that business, you have to charge a lot. 
because the less you char- less you charge, the less respected you are. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the first year I became a corporate speaker, I was like, I was doing a bunch of free speeches because I wanted to get my my speech rehearsed. Mm-hmm. So I was going to chambers of commerce, and every free speech I did gave me another free speech, right? And then I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say fifteen hundred dollars. So I did a fifteen hundred dollars speech, and it got me a bunch of fifteen hundred dollars speeches. About three months later, I said, "Well, I'm five thousand dollars now," mm-hmm. and a five thousand dollars speech got me a five thousand dollars speech. Then one day, someone said to me, "What's your fee?" And I said, "I am a ten thousand dollars speaker." What did I get? I got a ten thousand dollars speech, which got me more ten thousand dollars speeches. It, and I don't want to put this about mon- money or monetary things. That's just an example. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that the secret did. It made it about monetary things. I'm just using that as an example. I've had experiences where I have asked and believed and received the most ridiculous things. Uh, <laughs> um, to give you an ex- a really simple example, I used to, as a hobby, used to uh, restore antique furniture. I used to buy them and bring them home and fix them up and either use them or sell them, right, or give them to family. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I had this Victorian dresser with the two pedestals and the swivel mirror on the top. And it was a beautiful dresser. It needed a bunch of work, but it was missing the two screw finials that hold the mirror onto the post. So I said, thank you, God, for the screw finials that I am receiving. Amen. Right. Now, when you thank for something, it means you're, you believe you're getting it because you don't thank until you're getting it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, God, I say, God, my mom was Catholic. I don't care if you say universe consciousness, you, you know, whatever you call it, it's fine with me. Thank you, God, for the exactly what i wanted screw finials i am god's name receiving present moment action that means something's coming into my life amen most people don't know what it means what it means is so be it It means right here right now done so the whole thing is a completely present moment statement and then i just believed it and then a day or so later i stopped by a salvation army and i found this little rock maple desk that was going to be perfect for my son's room and i brought it home took it into my garage set it down next to that dresser Open the drawer. The screw finials were in the drawer. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. Wow. You are creating within this experience. And most people want it to happen instantaneously. They want the magic light show. They want the miracles. But if if you remember in the Bible, Joshua, Joshua's mother came and said, they're out of wine at, mm-hmm. the, at the wedding feast. And his response was, it's not time yet. Mm-hmm. And the next thing he did was he turned to people and he said, put water in those jugs. And so he put thought, word, and deed into action and let the, the manifestation come into the life, come into the illusion. And most people miss the fact that, that they can create in, in anything in their life. Um, the, one of the ladies who I work with uh, in, in my membership area, she, she was saying the other day, she says, boy, it was a hard day at work today. I said, well, why did you choose that? She said, well, this guy's there. He's terrible. I said, well, why'd you believe that? <laughs> you know, I kept going back to why are you focused on, on what's going to be bad instead of focusing on, I'm going to have a great day at work mm-hmm. today. And then he probably wouldn't have been there, right? But um, it's it really comes down to the creative element in our life is that, and that's what Jeshua taught. That's exactly what he taught. And people ask me often about his healings. And there's a a thing that I remember very clearly um, and it's, I found it in the Bible as well. And when I went to Israel, I actually went to the site. 
There's a town called Beth Shean. And one of the things it says in the Bible is that they avoided Beth Shean because no healings could happen there. Mm-hmm. And the reasons no healings could happen there is because Joseph the carpenter did a lot of work in Beth Shean. And they could not believe that the son of the carpenter could heal them. Mm-hmm. But the memory that I have is that we would come to Beth Shean and out on the outskirts of town is what they would call a wadi nowadays, a, a dry riverbed. And my brother James and I would go into the town and, you know, whoever past life regression stuff, right? But John and James would go into the town mm-hmm. and say to people, Jeshua is out by the wash. Those who want healings come out to him. Hmm. And those who would take the leap of faith could come out to him because he understood that he could come there with pure loving essence and and pure love, but no healing was going to happen without their belief. Hmm. And having them come out of the town to him was part of that leap of faith um, because that, that is the creative element. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, and, and, and I'm reminded of the story of the where the man was asking for healing, I think for his daughter. And Jesus said, if you believe it, it'll be done. And he said, I, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief, because I'm that guy. You know, mm. I, I don't I don't have that kind of faith, but um I'm hoping that it only takes a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Well, but but hang on. Can I can I stop you right there? Yeah, yeah. I don't have that kind of belief is a present moment belief that you don't have it. Sure. Yes, it is. So what if you could change that to I am a true believer? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it, you know it, and the thing the thing is here, here's the part, here's the part where most people get stuck with what I'm saying. They think, well, I just can't do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, you think about this is there's a famous Buddhist quote, and it's the most famous Buddhist quote there is, and it's, it's life is suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone knows that because it is the one right, that was quoted. Right. But the actual quote is mis- mistranslated because the original translation was from the language of Pali, P-A-L-I. Mm-hmm. And Pali is a conceptual language. It speaks in concepts. English is a literal language. And when they translated it from Pali to English, there was this little word called dukkha. And dukkha is the word for suffering. And when you look at the actual translation in English, there's three translations for the word dukkha. And when you take the three translations and you put them together into single into a single concept, you get something really interesting. The actual translation of that quote is, life is suffering because of our habitual responses to our subconscious belief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have we have these habits, right? So w- the way I changed my life, and the way, and I and th- I could tell you crazy stories, um, but 
the way I changed my life was I started paying attention to exactly what I was saying about my present moment. Mm -hmm. And when I would catch myself saying something contrary to what I wanted to create, Mm -hmm. I would, I would give myself permission, excuse me, to laugh at myself. I'd say, well, that's silly. I'm not doing that. I am doing this. Mm -hmm. And when I started shifting and, and negating that thought and, and putting this other thought in its place, what happened was I was changing my subconscious belief. Because every time I negated it, I, I backed it up with this other thing. And then what happened was I started stacking these present moment beliefs behind me. And then things started to change, mm-hmm. you know, because I was now changing the subconscious belief. And your subconscious belief is just as creative as your conscious belief. Yeah. Because belief is, is timeless. Yeah. And so you, if you can change your subconscious belief behind you. Now, now we're at the translation that from the Bible that I think most people miss. <laughs> Ye must be born again. All that means is set down your past and start something new. That means change your subconscious belief and start creating new subconscious beliefs in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And realize that outcome that you want that's up there, you never get to it in the future. It comes to you depending on what you're believing now. Because you will never experience it in the future. You will always experience it in your present moment. Yeah. yeah. And so it has to be coming to you. And it's, and it's malleable and changeable and changes with your very thought. So if you want something specific, you have to stay focused on the fact that you're receiving it. And you have to uh, keep staying focused on that until you actually hold it in your hand. Yeah. Um, one of the things I had to do is I had to take certain words out of my vocabulary. And the words that I took out were wanting, needing, hoping, and trying. Hmm. By taking those words out that are not present moment active, I am wanting gives you want. I am needing gives you need. I am trying gives you try. And I started replacing them with I am receiving, I am enjoying, I am creating. Present moment positive words that, that are active. And what happened was I started seeing things into my life and experiencing things in my life. Mm-hmm. Now, now, let me tell you one of my one of the where where I learned this. Is that okay, Dave? Or did you want to say something? No, no, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Okay, twenty two years old. My dream. This was long before my regression. Long before the, my dream was to be a stuntman. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a professional stuntman. And twenty two years old, a friend of mine said, "Hey, can you help me unload my van?" I said, "Sure." So I went out to his house. He was a professional potter. Made beautiful pottery. His van was full of 80-pound boxes of clay. And at the time, back in those days, I, I, was, I was rock, muscular, strong guy, right? I was working my way from my black belt. I had Fabio hair mm-hmm. as opposed to this Kojak look I got now, right? <laughs> and I was really excited about another workout. I was going to go move a van full of 80-pound boxes of clay. It was just another workout. Yeah. Climbed up in that van, picked up that first box. I turned to set it out of the van, and my spine broke in two. Oh, wow. And I collapsed, and they took me to the hospital. And the doctor said to me, Mr. Davis, you know, uh, we don't think you're ever going to walk again. You have a condition known as spina bifida occulta. And for most people, it's not a big deal. But you had three vertebrae that did not form properly. And when you did the extra twist that day, you actually twisted the upper part of your spine off of the lower part of your spine. We, we don't think you're ever going to walk again. And even if you gain mobility, your, your 
lower body cannot support your, the weight of your upper body. Mm. So you'll probably be dealing with chairs and, and crutches and walkers the rest of your life. Now, what was my dream? To be a stuntman. And I was well on the way to getting my black belt. Right? Right, right. <laughs> so a buddy of mine comes in and gives me, and this is kind of going off of the, 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 the Jesus and into the same thought, the same concepts, but just from a different angle. Buddy came in and gave me a book by Bruce Lee. And he talked about being like water in this book, the, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. And, and then the more I started realizing it, when something, adversity comes up, if I hold my faith, no matter what's going on, if I just think of this thing as the obstacle between me and what I'm getting, as opposed to the thing that's going to stop me, I can, ch- I can change the outcome. And I also came to the realization that I can take that doctor's belief and be in a chair the rest of my life, or I can choose to be a stuntman. And that day I started going, I am moving my neck. And I started working my neck muscles. I moved my shoulders. And after 30 days, I moved my hips. After six months, I was able to walk up and down, walk around, but not well. At a year, I was back to what you would consider a normal physical body, but not back to where I was before. Mm-hmm. At a year and six months, I tested for my black belt, and I went to the National the American Stuntman's Association workshop in Washington state. I climbed up on top of a three-story tower and I jumped off into a fall pad. I went on to do over 4,000 live comedy sword fighting stunt shows all over the world, including the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan on six USO tours. I've worked with the fight choreographers from Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, the Highlander, Batman. And uh, I actually was in a film with Brad Pitt and David Duchovny as part of the stunt team. Wow. Okay. All right. So, but when you take it from what I just said with the Bruce Lee story, it's the same principle. You can find, you can find truth everywhere. And, and it's not just in Christianity. You can find it in in Islam. You can find it in Hinduism and Buddhism and Wicca and Tony Robbins and Star Wars films. You can find truth everywhere. It's a matter of a lot of what you said today. I've heard Yoda say, (laughs) right, exactly. Right. 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 And, and to me, it's interesting because I, I, the, the relationship to fear is, is is one of the biggest things. Is fear is the illusion of not having love in some form mm-hmm. and, and not experiencing love. And the reason I call it an illusion because when you break down fear scientifically, it's um, an emotional reaction to a future event that may or may not happen with you focused on a negative outcome. Because mm-hmm. if you were focused on a positive outcome, you wouldn't be afraid. So fear is just negatively focused on certainty. Yeah. Well, most people get in their fear and they get stuck. Well, what did Yoda say? He said, mm, named must your fears be before banish it, you can. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to name that fear and label it as fear to get yourself out of it yeah. and say, oh, it's just fear. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I love Yoda has said some brilliant things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, he said, what is it? Uh, do not try. There is no try. You know, do, do or, or do, do not. not. There is no try. Fear yeah. leads to the dark side. Yeah. So I, yeah. I want to ask you, um, because I hear what well, I hear you teaching, I believe, is the essence of what Jesus taught. So where do we go wrong? What do, what did we have wrong about Jesus? And where did, just your thoughts, where that misunderstanding came about? There's a lot of misunderstandings. First of all, there's a couple things you need to know historically. Um, the first book of the New Testament is attributed to 50 years after this crucifixion. Okay. So it's a letter from Paul. So 
all of the teachings were, were oral tradition and that were eventually translated. And um, the, the, the original text of the New Testament was in Greek, not Aramaic, right? So it was like it, the, the oral tradition had been translated and altered. And, and, and then came this little thing 300 years after the crucifixion, this little thing called the Nicene Council. Mm-hmm. And it was found. It was formed by Constantine, the emperor, who came to the council dressed as the pagan sun god and did not get baptized until his deathbed. Um, and they they took over sixty books out of the texts and brought it down to just the ones that really fit what they wanted to say. Um, and at that council, one of the things that was decided. Is Jeshua the son of God, or is Jeshua a a prophet or a mm-hmm. teacher? Mm-hmm. And they chose son of God at that moment. And then after that moment, every every other religion was wrong. And and then so so the teachings have been altered and changed over and over and over again. And then you get to King James, who changed it again. Um, at one point in the Bible, it says, whatever you ask in God's name is granted. King James Version says, whatever you ask in my name is granted. So he basically is now deifying Jesus as God. And so they've changed it from the I am to you have to pray to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so the, the alterations were changed. But the interesting thing was, people asked me about the crucifixion. You know, Why did he do it? Why did he go to the crucifixion? You got to remember a couple things. During that time... It was a militant military rule. And when somebody got popular and they started getting a large number of followers, the, the military thought he was building an, an army. They were, they were trying to trying to get him to fight him, right? And so Jeshua knew the only way to have the teachings go forward was to spread the teachings out. So what did he do? He took 12 people and he said, Okay, you go to Rome. You go to Turkey, you go, you stay in Jerusalem, you go here, you go. And he sent them all over the world with the messages and then went to his death to make them think that that it had ended. When in reality, what he did was he put the teachings out into the world because he knew the teachings would go on. Mm -hmm. And there has been an undercurrent of these teachings. And what's, what's interesting to me right now is we're seeing a very big shift back to this loving, caring belief. And you're seeing the, the the manipulations of Christianity starting to implode. You know, we're starting to see a lot of the the struggles. And if you really want to think about it, Hitler thought he was a Christian. Mm-hmm. Timothy McVeigh thought he was a Christian. The the conquistadors wiped out South America, thinking they were Christians. The Native Americans were kicked out of their lands because of the Christians. So it 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 went away from his message very very far. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I do have a very clear memory of, and people want to argue with me about this because of uh, a, another person, another reader's book, uh, and she had actually is a reader. She was a regressionist, but um, the Essenes. Everyone thought. Everybody seems to think that he was an Essene, mm-hmm. but I have a very distinct memory of him avoiding the Essenes because they wanted him to become a Messiah and lead an army. And people were like, "No, that's not what happened." That Dolores Cannon said this, and I said, "Well, I, I if you, that, that's fine. 
I can only talk about my memories. I can't talk about hers or anybody else's. Right. And the first historically, the first armed conflict against Rome was led by John the Essene. Mm. And so it's it's like Yeshua's whole teaching was not about uh, deification or or being set above or apart. He believed that we were all equal in the eyes of God, and mm-hmm. and and he believed that we, we each were divine. Greater works than I have done, you will do. It is your faith that heals you. Yeah, you have faith as small as mustard seed. You know. And I want I want to talk about the deification of Jesus because you yeah. can find things in the Bible that support either way. You know, right. I, I hear a lot of, I call you my brothers, you know, the I've seen the father do greater things. The son can do nothing without the father. We hear all those things. So was it Paul that deified Jesus? I mean, when did this, when did this thing happen where he became the son of God? The son well, of God. It, it, the son of God happened at the Nicene council. Okay. And, and that's when that's when that shifting happened. And then if you, if you go into the Gnostic text and read some of the Gnostic texts, mm-hmm. You're going to find something really interesting in the book of James, the, the brother of Jeshua. In the book of James, the brother of Jeshua, Paul is referred to as the great liar. Mm-hmm. And basically saying that Paul is not teaching what Jeshua taught and is, is you know doing this for his own power, his own glory. And it basically says that Paul is, and, he, and you got to remember that the majority of the New Testament is written by Paul. Yeah. And Paul never met Jeshua in life. Right. He only had a vision, right? Right. And Paul, when you when you dive into the Acts and, and Gnostic texts and all that stuff, there's a, here's, a, here's a quote from Paul. You, it is okay. Well, that's not the I'm going to paraphrase it, obviously, because he didn't say okay. You know, it, it is okay to beat your slave so long as he doesn't die because your slave is property. Mm-hmm. That's a Paul. Paul. Paul actually said that. He also said, it is okay to have slaves as long as they're not from your country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so Paul was creating all this stuff. And he was, when you really look at the letters he wrote to various people, he was like a chameleon. He said what they wanted him to say. And, her, and, and you kind of lose a bunch of the, the beauty of Joshua's teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, the most esoteric book in, in the Bible is the one that I'm most proud of. It's <laughs> the book of John, of course. <laughs> um, but it says, uh, it says God is love, mm-hmm. and it says no fear can exist in pure love. Those are the two most telling statements. Now, people say, well, well there's other stuff in there, in there too. Yeah, but you have to realize the Bible is not infallible. It's yeah. been altered. It's been translated. It's been, you know, it's even been um, manipulated. Yeah. It, man- manipulated to say what they wanted to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I was raised as a fundamentalist Christian, and, and mm-hmm. I've done a lot of Bible study and the history and stuff yeah. like that. And so, you know, most people are not aware of where their Bible came from. They think it right. was it was dropped from the sky, wrapped in leather, you know, with gold foil around it. And um, choirs singing the whole time, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, no, no. It, there was a whole process, and there was a, there was a big political process that went on, right. um, and, and very well, selective. Well, and think about this. In the original text, he never said, I'm the son of God. Right. right. He always said, I'm the son of man. Yes. But what right. is the son of man? A normal person. Yeah, the, the, son, the son of God of was a term that, that he didn't. You're right. He, he used the term son of man. And, and the Caesars used the term sons of God. And that's that was a very political thing to say, son of right. God. And yeah. And think about this. Okay. So if you look at the, the text of the birth of, of Joshua, right? 
It's a virgin birth. Mm-hmm. In in Judaism, there's no virgin birth. In Roman mythology, there's tons of them. Right, right. Right? So that Christmas, if, if the timeline is correct in the virgin birth story, Christmas should be around August because of the stars and the way the things and what was in bloom in the in the, in the text. But it's in December. Why is it December? Because it's right next to the pagan holiday. Right. Right. And and Easter, same thing. So they started pu- putting things around the Roman pagan holidays to make the transition easier. Now, here's something even, even crazier. The Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem, that's the site that everyone says is the site. When they opened the tomb about seven years ago, they were going down to make sure that the tomb was still stable. Mm-hmm. And they dug down and they got to the lowest thing and they carbon dated the lowest thing they found. It carbon dated to the time of Constantine. Mm-hmm. Okay. During that time, the reason the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is where it is and where Mount Sinai is, is because Constantine sent his mother to mark all the holy sites. Mm-hmm. And so all of the sites that are marked as the holy sites were were actually dated to the time of Constantine, 320 years after the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, even, even what we would say are the, are the holy sites aren't necessarily the holy sites. Now, I will tell you a very interesting experience that I had. <laughs> so... I went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and I was like, okay, you know, am I going to get a feeling when I'm there? What's going right, to happen? Right. And I walked in, and I felt nothing, right? And then I come out, and my friend Michael was with me. Michael says, we should go over to the Garden Tomb. I said, what's that? He said, well, the British Archaeological Site, the Society says that the, that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is in the wrong spot because the Bible says it's outside of the Gate of Damascus. And they went over, and they found this area that was kind of fit the description and they found a tomb and and in the tomb was was it was it had been opened and there were three spots in it for for people to be, be laying they're laid uh, and over one of them somebody had marked a cross over it hmm. and right next to that and if you if you remember correctly when they took Joshua down from the cross the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea was very close by mm-hmm. okay Right next to it, they found this this stone hill, and the locals in the area called that stone hill Golgotha. Oh. And Golgotha means skull hill. When you mm-hmm. look at this thing, it looks like a skull. And the some of the people who were anti-Christian in the area believed it so much they defaced it. Right? They defaced the spot. So I, I said, Well, let's let's go see what happens. We start walking over. The closer I get, the more I start to weep. I start crying. I got in the room. I got nauseous. I got into the space. I got nauseous. I saw the hill, and I'm looking at it. I'm like this. I just knew it was the right spot. Mm. And then I have one of the memories I do have is carrying Joshua to a tomb. Now, the angle, I, it, was, it would have looked very different back in the day because this right. is an archaeological site. But I really felt like I'd been there before. Mm. And I literally was weeping and crying and nauseous. And I turned to a guy with me who who was told that he had been the Apostle Philip at the time. He's very, very um, 
conservative and very shy about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. And I'm like, but I turned to him and I looked at him and he never, he never gives any emotion. And I go, what do you think? He goes, I think they got it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had the same sort of reaction. Mm-hmm. So um, to me, I think the, I think the British society got it right. The location, right. Yeah. And I think, and, but all the changes that have been done to the Bible, most people don't do not know how many changes of the Bible. But what I tell people is when you read the Bible, take the parts that are loving and leave the rest because yeah. the rest has been, is from man. Well, the other thing is we read the Bible entirely wrong because Jesus spoke in parables and right. people take exactly. his parables and they make them literal. And I'm like, okay. You know, it's like if someone said he's out in left field, we wouldn't look out in the field to see if he's there. We know it's an idiom, but when Jesus, right. you know, uses parables, people, they, they realize some are parables, but some they take literally. Do you know the reason why he spoke in parables? Is because you you can you can spoon feed information and they won't retain it. Mm-hmm. But if if they find the information themselves, it is in their soul as part of them. They believe yeah. it. Yeah. So by giving them a parable, they come to the realization themselves, and it becomes part of them. And so that's why he always taught in stories. That's why you'll even in this conversation we're having right now. I'm telling you stories about my back going bad. I'm telling you stories about going to to Jerusalem and experience. Yeah. I'm telling you these stories because they're giving you a chance to experience the emotion of it. Well, the other thing is some of these concepts are too big to to, to use literally. There's a, yes. a guy I, uh, that I follow that his name is uh, Bernardo Castro, and he wrote a book called More Than Allegory. And he talks about why great spiritual truths are taught in allegory because these the the concepts are too big for us to put into into literal words so it's it's um so i think there's there's numbers of reasons why jesus taught in parables and and people can retain them and they're easy to tell and when you're using an oral tradition you need to be able to be able to retain it yeah right right and then it got written down and then because it was written down then it could be edited (laughs) you know know, well it's interesting because i have a friend who's jewish and i was i said i was raised as a fundamentalist christian so i'm like the bible's literal you know the snake is literal the garden of eden is all literal and he goes we don't take any of that stuff literally. What is what does it deal with you Christians? And I'm like, oh, I thought it was, you know, that's what I learned. I was well, in my 20s. And I love the Garden of Eden story. It's one of my favorites. And the reason it is is because it's very clear uh, to me about the the real moral meaning of it is, it, it you know, Eve was not the villain, you know, and this not even really the snake was the villain. No. What was the transgression? The transgression was they ate from the tree of knowledge and they were kicked out of paradise. So. They got in their heads and out of their hearts. Yeah. They, they got kicked out of the feeling of love because they got in their heads too much. They started thinking too much. And God, I truly believe God speaks in feelings, not thinkings. I, I don't even believe it's a transgression. I believe it's a story of us coming to earth. It's huh? that that thing you said that we come here to experience the, the difference, to experience mm-hmm. the fear. To, I was talking with the guy, and he actually we were because people always ask, "What's the meaning of life? Why am I here?" Well, we're here to learn. We're here to grow. We're here to experience. And I heard this guy say, "We're here to ex- experience being abandoned." And I mm-hmm. was like, I thought that was very profound when he said that. Yeah. It's like you talked about when you were in that oneness. You know, it's blissful. But when you come here, you realize how blissful it really was. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's the baseline. You cannot measure love without knowing the lack of it. Right. And so you, you come here to experience the lack of love, which is the abandonment, right? right? You come here to have that feeling because if you never experienced it, the lack of it, you could never know what it was you were experiencing. 
Yeah. You need to have something that's opposite to, to experience. And so uh, this whole, and, and here's the other thing. You, we come here to experience the lack of love in many, many levels. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it might be something small. Sometimes it might be something big, something really hurtful or harmful. When we cross back over, every, every near-death experiencer talks about um, the life review. But what's really interesting about the life review is when they cross over, they experience their life from their point of view and from the point of view of everybody they interacted with. Mm-hmm. So they're literally experiencing what they felt in those interactions. So what, what does that mean? They're being folded back into the oneness and experiencing the entire experience. Yeah. And, the expi- and they're looking at love and our relationship to it from all the different facets, yeah. all the different angles. And it really gets it gives us the opportunity to experience it. Yeah, and I want to I want to kind of come back to what we talked about earlier about because I know people are going to get hung up on you know what, was he really John the Beloved was he really John the Beloved but it comes down to the <laughs> fact that what you just said we're all one in a sense and mm-hmm. it reminds me of a friend she um, she does not or did not at least believe in reincarnation but she had a near death experience and she said I saw what I think were all my past lives but there might have been other people I don't know. Because we're in that that situation, we're so close that we kind of lose the separation. We don't right. feel we don't feel it. So it's like, I think once we're in spirit, it's kind of like we don't really we don't identify the way we do when we're in, a, in the body. I, I completely agree with you. I, you're you're so limited when you're here because you just, you don't have the the knowledge, you don't have the information. Yeah, and it's so fascinating that the uh, after after I started having my big spiritual waking, I had what the Hindus would call a Kundalini rising. I had an mm-hmm. experience while trying to meditate where I pop, popped back out, mm-hmm. but I found myself in a pure white expanse again. And this person was standing in front of me and says, you're not supposed to be here yet. Mm-hmm. And pushed me back into my body. But I, the interesting thing is in that moment of being in that expanse, I felt like an infant with no knowledge. I, I was in awe and wonder of what I was witnessing. Because I was witnessing it from my physical perspective down here where I am a child. I don't have the, and my son is, he's, he's about to be 19, but when he was an infant, we taught him baby sign language because it's about communication and we never had the terrible twos because of it and all that, you know, being able to communicate and articulate is, is imperative. And we, we don't have the ability to articulate what happens on the other side. Right. The other side has everything. Yeah. It, it is everything it, it, and all possibilities at once. And you know, it, as far as as far as past life experience, did you, did Yeshua and the disciples believe in past lives? So he said to them, "Who do they say that I am?" Mm-hmm. And they, Peter says, "Some say you are Elijah or some other prophet returned." He says, "No, I tell you, Elijah has come already, and you have shunned him," referring to John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. That's in the Bible. Well, they had to believe that Elijah could return and be John, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus had to believe that Elijah could return and be John the Baptist. Right. How can you make a better argument for well, I, I love it when they ask, the, ask Jesus why the man was born blind, and they say, right. who sinned, he or his parents? And it's like, how could he have sinned before he was born? Right. Um, so they obviously believed in both karma and reincarnation. Right, right. And I see it. I, I, I take karma a little differently because I think the modern new age folks have turned karma into yeah, yeah, yeah. something more. Yeah. I think, it, I think karma really is sowing and reaping. 
but but in their belief was like if you were rich that means you were blessed by god if you were poor that meant that meant you did something wrong that was that was the belief at the time i right know, so right, that, right that was that was their belief i'll tell you one of the other things that i run into with spiritual folks especially is this this weird relationship between spirituality and money they are like well if you're a spiritual person you can't make money you're not allowed mm-hmm. to make money right i can't tell you how many times people have said to me what do you mean you sell meditation CDs? You shouldn't do that. They should be free because you were an apostle. I was like, no, I'm John Davis, and I'm allowed to have a roof over my head too, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I make two to three videos a day. I'm working 800 hours a week creating my channel, mm-hmm. and you know I'm allowed to do that. You know, and they forget that in the Bible it does not say uh, money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of many evils. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The love of it, not not money itself, but the love of it, the belief about it, and and people get real trapped into that 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 struggle about money. Here's another thing that I, I run into a lot. There's a lot of people in this world who believe that struggle equals growth, that they have to struggle to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And I said, what would happen if you could believe that life everything came easily? How would that be? And they're like, well, if it doesn't though, well, that's a belief, you know. Things just seem to fall easily into my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, John, um, probably running out of time. I could talk to you all day. I do want to let people know where they can find out about you, find out more about you. I know you offer readings. So uh, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about what do you, what is that? What do people get okay. if they get a reading from you? So go. Okay. So so you, I'm easy to find. Uh, if you go to johnofnew.com, uh, you, can, you can find me there. I have a membership site on there. Uh, which I do weekly uh, live Zoom meetings with a group of people. We have a great time doing that. Um, I also uh, do offer readings. And what those readings are, they kind of entail this. An hour before I do one, I sit down with a blank sheet of paper and your name on the top of it, and I do an automatic writing. And I just open up to whatever comes through and I write it down. And then I get on with you and we go through the process of breaking you out of the things limiting beliefs and and things that have held you back from achieving what you want in life or getting over your past fears and traumas. And we've come out the other side with, with much, a much more joyful you. Um, And what I'm going to offer when I, and I do this, whenever I do an interview like this, I offer the listeners to the podcast uh, $50 a discount. And I'm going to give Brian the the link to that. And I'm sure you'll drop it somewhere. Yeah. It'll be in the show notes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. um, And if you really want to get into more of the information, go to go to John of New, all one word on YouTube, and I've got now almost 600 videos on that channel in a year, and you can go and, and you can dive in. I put out something every day to just kind of cement the beliefs and cement the teachings. The teachings are are very simple, mm-hmm. but they really have to be told through stories, and and you really have to come to the realization of it. And that that's the best way you can find me and the best way you can learn more about Jesuit teachings, which is the most important thing to me. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. John, it's, it's great to have you here. Um, I, I appreciate you, you spending your time with me today. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you, Brian. And you, I would love to have another conversation with you. You seem like have, you have a lot of knowledge that I'd like to tap into. All right, cool. We'll do that. All right. Have a good. Thanks for listening to grief to growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief 
or know someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash grief, the number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grief2growth.com. Hey there, if you liked this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.